0: ...and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns... ...and they put it on his head. And they arrayed him in a purple robe. They came and said to him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and he said to them, See... I'm bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. Behold the man I slowed down clearly when I read that and that probably didn't take me more than a minute but what we just read was something that probably probably lasted 30 minutes to an hour maybe more Because what you find recorded for us by Luke is something that everybody in the first century, they only needed one word to know what was taking place. He says flogged, and everybody in the first century knew what that meant. And what that meant was a man was taken, stripped of his clothing, strapped to a post, brought into a courtyard, and then there would be the most vicious punishment you've ever seen in your life as a huge, muscular Roman soldier would take leather straps, slap it to the criminal's back, yank the leather back across the back, and rip open the skin. Anybody in this day and age, when they hear flogging, would also think, a lot of men died from that. In fact, one of the most interesting things about Scripture is how, how how little information, from a visual point of view, Scripture gives us with two very very big dramatic events: flogging and crucifixion. But Luke or any other gospel writers didn't didn't need to elaborate because a witness saw. So so what I want us to do, and this is the challenge for us, that that we realize that. that that our Lord for 30 minutes, maybe an hour, is going through some of the most brutal, vicious forms of torture there is. He's being mocked, made fun of. They slap him, hit him in the face. If you look back to the prophets and what the prophets said, they pulled his beard, yanking the hair out. Imagine. Smashing a crown of thorns on his head. And Pilate knew what he was doing. But Pilate, 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 Pilate wanted this just to all go away. And, and he really could not find any probable cause to crucify Jesus. And, and then what made it worse was his wife's begging him not to do it. <laughs> Holy Spirit's been speaking to her and she knows this is a bad idea. And, and, and here's a guy who wants to flex his muscles and sit in a very political position and keep the Romans happy, but he's got this whole crowd that he's responsible for, all these Jews screaming and crying for blood. And and so he wants it all to go away. So he thinks to himself, you know what I'm going to do? I got the answer. I got the answer. He claims to be a god. They're all so upset because he claims to be a god. I'll prove to everyone he isn't a god. So I'll flog him, I'll torture him, and then I'll bring him out. And here's where we, here's where we as readers and believers in the word of God have got to slow down. Have you ever thought about what your Lord looked like at that moment? He didn't come out like this. He came out like this. And Pilate says, Behold, the man. Behold, he's just a man. What I want us to do over the next few minutes is do something that, that, that the Spirit tells us is, is a truth about our Lord. And the Lord became, our Lord, the Word of God became flesh and He dwelt among us. And, and, and what I want us to do and, and bear in mind is that there is a challenge for us. There, there is a great challenge for us as disciples of our Lord 2,000 years later to actually see Him as human. I don't know about you. I don't know about you. But, but I grew up going to Bible class uh, all my life. I had wonderful parents who matured in Bible class. You didn't miss. You had your lesson. And I have never, I have never, and I can't remember a time, but I have never questioned my Lord's deity. He's always been the Son of God. He's always been God. In the first century, they never questioned his humanity. He was a man. They saw him as a man. They struggled to see him as a God. And so I want us, I want us to take the time this morning to recognize that our God, our Lord Jesus, was indeed flesh and blood. And He became flesh and blood for many reasons. But one of the reasons that Scripture shares with us from the book of Hebrews is that He became flesh and blood so that He could sympathize with us. So that He could know us. He would know our plight. And so that He could be a friend to us. And so this morning, I, I want us to see Him in His humanity. And I believe what this will do for all of us. It is is going to enhance not only your knowledge and your understanding of Him, but your love for Him. And Lord willing, at the end of this lesson, you're going to be able to say, He knows me. He gets me. Because he does. I I know what Pilate was doing. Pilate was trying to mock him. Pilate was trying to prove to everybody, you know, in God, look, he's a man. But I want to suggest to you, to some extent, Pilate was exactly right. He was a man. But His weakness and His humanity in no way diminishes His deity or His greatness. Our Lord Jesus is going to experience great joy. He's also going to feel great fear. He's going to know the pain and the sting of, uh, of pain. And He's going to know what it's like to be anxious and to worry. He's going to know an emotion that is so intense, He'll cry. In fact, our Lord cries often. And our Lord Jesus is going to bleed. So for just the next few moments, let's paint the picture. Let's paint the picture of the name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Uh, the first thing I want us to look at when we consider this is that our Lord was a Lord of compassion. In fact, more than likely, He had such great compassion for the masses because of the way that He grew up. You know, one of the most interesting things about Scripture is that we have no, no history, hardly at all, from birth to 30. Is that not the craziest thing in the world? Nothing! I mean, if I was writing, uh, 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 you know, a little bibliography here or writing some historical record of somebody's life, you know, you got to talk about their childhood. You got to talk about, you know, even all of us when we ask for a bio, I'm Phil Robertson, I grew up in Lubbock, Texas, da 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 you know. Oh, it gives a little insight. There's nothing. You know why? You know why? Because there was nothing unusual about his first 30 years. His first 30 years were just like everybody else. And he grew up in a very small village in a very modest home, and he was a carpenter. Have you ever thought about what it would be like to be the carpenter in the village in that day and age? You were the Home Depot. You were Lowe's. Jesus, Jesus, frame my house. Jesus, Jesus, level my table. Jesus, Jesus, fix this. Jesus, Jesus, repair that. Jesus, 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 that's all he did. That's all he did. And growing up in a very modest home, in a very remote village, he saw the struggles of life in everybody that was around him. And he experienced it and he saw it. And so he has great compassion He has great compassion on people. He has great compassion on them and you see this all the way through the text. In Mark 1 verse 41 He'll have great compassion on a leper. Why? Because He saw many lepers and He saw what their life was like. He has great compassion on the crowds who are hurting and He'll heal them in Mark 14. He has compassion on the people because they're simply lost and they have no shepherd. They lived in a very, very tumultuous political climate. They had no true shepherd. Whether it was on a throne or even at the temple because the religious leaders were corrupt. He has compassion on a crowd who had nothing to eat for three days in Mark 8. He has compassion on a widow. Oh, that's an amazing story. You know, the widow of Nain. Well, why, why would our Lord just all of a sudden just stop a funeral procession? Why would He all of a sudden stop and just, it, it, it says that He had great compassion on her. Maybe it's because He knows someone very dear to him, who was a widow and would one day lose a son. His heart is revealed in his teaching. And and, and and what we find that that even in his teaching is you find that our Lord, our Lord is always, always focusing on our need for compassion. You remember the story of the Good Samaritan? You remember the story of the Good Samaritan? What, what what made the Samaritan different from all the others? He had compassion on the man. Uh, Turn your Bibles to Luke 14 Luke 14 I want you to I want you to look back at his story real quick because this is also extremely interesting and, and it shows the heart of our Lord and, 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 and what he was thinking and, and, and what he was doing as you find it in Luke 14. It in Luke 14 that our, our Lord is sharing a story, and it's a story of a great banquet. And, and you know the story where, where they're sent out to invite all the people to come, and all the first group, they don't want to come, all the original dignitaries don't want to come, and then so the invitation is then sent out to the rest. Listen, listen to what, what is said. Verse 21 So the servant came and reported all these things to the master, and then the master of the house became angry, and he said to his servant, Go quickly. Go quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city. Bring in, bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done, and there's still room. And the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways, into the hedges, and compel people to come in, that my house may be full. Have you ever looked at that word, compel? The servant is going and getting the lame and the downtrodden, the hurting. And you can say, hey, you're invited, you're invited, you're invited. They're like, oh no way. No, no, you're invited, you're invited. I got nothing to wear. No, you're invited, you're invited. Come on. No, you're invited. No, please, please. You are wanted. Me? Me? Do you realize what I've done? Me? Do you realize my yes? Yes. Would you come on? What it reveals for us is our Lord's heart for all of us. Would you come on? I don't care. I know. I know your pain. I know what you've done. I know. It's his compassion. It would really be extremely impossible To overestimate the impact of our Lord's compassion on the masses, especially with the invitation to meals in that culture. A meal was a sign of fellowship, a meal was a sign of status, a meal was a sign of purpose. And the Lord says, Come to my meals. He gave them dignity. He gave them value because he was a man of compassion. Our Lord knows what it's like to be left out, He knows what it's like to be looked down upon, He knows what it's like to have no money. He knows. And so his heart, his heart goes out to those people. In fact, our Lord was so common. He was so common. Even when he performed miracles, people went, Isn't that that carpenter? (laughs) Really? For 30 years. 30 years. He was a man. So he has compassion on humanity. Uh, the next thing that's really interesting to notice about our Lord is, 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 is that he is filled with emotion. And what you find here is that because he is an emotional being, just like every single one of us, he he, he feels the emotions that we feel. Uh, our Lord was hungry. I've often found that interesting. Here's a guy who could turn stones into bread if he wanted to. Here's a guy who could feed thousands. Why would he ever go hungry? How could he ever go hungry? I, I tell you what, have anybody flown recently? Anybody flown recently? They make you take out all your food now. Did you know that? I was going through, I, I, my wife is a dietitian. keep me in prayer, my, and, and, and so I, I usually try to eat pretty healthy, and I remember I had, I had a big thing of, of almond butter. You ever almond butter? You know, you get almond butter and you made it, it, it costs like $92, a, 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 you know, for just an ounce of it. So I'm going through TSA, and they flagged me. They flagged me. And they confiscated my bag, and like, what's going on? What's going on? They said, what is this? And I'm like, it's almond butter. Oh, we're not sure. But I said, here, here's an apple. Try it. It's great. No, 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 no. I said, what are you going to do? We're going to throw it away. No, you're not. I said, is there another option? We escort you out. I said, let's go. And they took me out of the airport. And I ate all that almond butter real quick. And I came back in. Our Lord knows what it's like to be hungry. He knows what it is. If He knows hungry, He knows hangry. Yes. He knows he, he was thirsty. He, he was tired. In fact, have you remember the story when he falls asleep on the boat? Have you ever, started, have you, have you ever kind of, have you fallen into this trap? Jesus goes, I'm going to teach a lesson here. There's going to be a little storm come up. I'm going to make myself fall asleep. And they're going to have to wake me up here in a moment. And I'm going to go, what? No. 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 He was a man. And he was so tired. He was so emotionally drained and physically drained from the days and the days of ministry and work. He literally slept through a storm. Scripture reminds us over and over and over again. That our Lord was not some calm, calm, cool, collected debonair of a guy who rode in and out of town as if he didn't have a care in the world, as if everything was totally uncontrolled. No. No man does that. And so as a man, as a man, he experiences what men experience. He has strong desires. And in fact, here's what's interesting. He shares with his disciples, I have longed to eat this Passover with you. I have longingly, longingly looked forward to this time together. Uh, Here's what's interesting in Luke 7. He's surprised. Wait! Wait! Wait, if you're God, how are you surprised? I mean, shouldn't He be calling His shots? Any moment now, any moment now, watch this kid. There he is! Told you he's gonna come around the corner. Watch this, here he comes. Oh, would you? I didn't see, you know. No. The centurion's faith is so strong, Jesus goes, this. Uh, and not only is he surprised, he's caused to wonder. He goes to his hometown of Nazareth and he performs all these miracles in front of all the people that he loves, all the people that he's grown up with his whole life, and they show no faith in him at all. And he's just like, you've got to be kidding me. Really? Really? Have you ever felt the frustration of sharing truth or sharing common sense or sharing reality with somebody and they just don't get it? And you're looking at them going, really? And you're just beside yourself. And you explain it 15 different ways and you're like, Jesus as a man does not give somebody the big Jedi and force the knowledge into their brain. He allows the free will to take its course. And as a man, He wonders. He gets angry. Our... Lord God angry there's many references in scripture to his anger he grieves uh, here's what's interesting in, in Mark chapter 10 and in verse 14 <laughs> they, they, they start pulling the kids away from him oh the Lord doesn't have time for kids the Lord doesn't have time for kids he, he, he got indignant can you imagine how that scene played out I mean, the scene played out all these adults around and you can see all the apostles oh they keep the little kids away keep, little kids away. keep the little kids away oh would you start those kids get out of the way out of the way out of the way and the Lord sees it and goes hey stop it bring the child here how else do you define indignant I don't see our Lord going Guys, oh, come on. Bring the children. No. In fact, I'm going to imagine that <laughs> any time a kid showed up, any other time the puzzles went. <laughs> Kids first. Kids first. He was emotional. He would be moved to a sigh. In fact, in Mark 7, he's with a deaf man, and he just looks into the heavens. Man, life is hard. At Lazarus' tomb, he'll groan. Oh. Life is hard. In the garden, he prays in agony. You ever tried to visualize that one? Slow down and visualize the garden? Your Lord the master you've been following for three years, the man you've placed all your faith and trust in, the man who's confused you greatly at times, but other times has reassured you like nobody else can, and he's over there, and he is shaking, and he is crying, and he is sweating, that it looks as if blood is popping, And going down his face. And he doesn't stop. He hasn't even got to the cross yet. And he's miserable. Miserable. And he's begging for another solution. He's begging for another way. He feels helpless, but yet strong at the same time in a weird way. In fact, he's in so much agony, angels will come down and try to minister to him. The fact of the matter is sometimes when we're hurting so bad, when we are so anxious, (laughs) there's there's really nothing anybody can say that's going to make you feel better. And he'll cry. He'll weep. Weep. In fact, he'll weep so hard at the tomb of his friend that the crowd will sit back and go, oh, wow, he must have really loved him. I want you to think about something. Please think about something. I'm in no way diminishing his deity. I'm in no way suggesting that in any way he's not God. But what our Lord does is he becomes a man. And even though he trusts in Scripture and he trusts in the Father, he's living the human experience. And he's crying his eyes out. Crying his eyes out. In the days of his flesh... Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to Him who was able to save Him from death. And He was heard because of His reverence. And if there's anything that shows us, if there's anything that shows us our Lord's, our Lord's humanity, it's, it's that He truly was a man of sorrows uh, and maybe the the, most, the, most, or the greatest evidence of all is we see His humanity when we see not only His dread of, his, of the cross, but we see Him on the cross. I want you to just consider a few passages, a few passages as, as we listen to Jesus speak of His dread of the cross. In Luke 12, He says, I came to cast fire on the earth, and oh, oh, I would that it was already kindled, but I have a baptism to be baptized with, and... How great is my distress until it's accomplished. How great is my distress. I I, I want you to grasp something here, and this is important. And I realize Jesus has a little bit of a different mission than ours, a different purpose upon this earth. But our Lord is agonizing as he follows the will of his Father. When Jesus talks about a broad way that leads to destruction and a narrow way that leads to life, He shares that because He knows. (laughs) He knows. Uh, In John 12 and in verse 27, uh, listen to what He says. Now, now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But it's for this purpose I came to this hour listen listen to the struggle within his heart. And then in Luke 22 and in verse 44, in being in agony, he prays more earnestly and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. It shows his struggle. One commentator says that in the Greek, this idea of conflict and struggle is, is, is describing more of an inner struggle more than just physical pain. Struggling with this. I'm struggling with this. And as we're reminded again in Hebrews 5 verse 7, in the days of His flesh, He offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to Him who was able to save Him from death and He was heard because of His reverence. And if you want one more final truth in some evidence of His humanity. He died. He died. Can can anyone doubt that the cross was every bit as horrific as Jesus anticipated it to be? Yet He willingly endured it. He willingly endured it. To fulfill the will of His Father. I want you to see and understand that we have a Lord... (laughs) ...who understands. We have a Lord who understands how we feel... ...who knows pain and the consequence of dealing not only with challenges physically... ...but dealing with the consequences of other people's sins... He knows the frustration of living in a fallen world. And, 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 yet, and yet, Jesus also knows the way we think when we're hurting. He has compassion. He has emotions. And even when He's suffering, He has mercy and love toward the seeker. He has indignation toward the pharisaical and the self-righteous, just like you do. And you know what's interesting? When you listen to the words of the Apostle Paul, maybe this is exactly what Paul was referring to in Galatians 4.19 when he says, My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth, why? Until Christ is formed in you. I want you to feel and know the heart of your Lord. That even as you go through the human experience like He did, that He can be formed in you. Let's wrap it up with just a couple of passages that show His capacity for sorrow. Uh, and and, and one, of these, one of these is in John 11. In John 11, in verses 33 to 35, you'll notice that when, when Jesus saw her weeping, when He comes up to Mary and Martha, and, 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 and the Jews also come, and they're also weeping, our Lord is greatly moved, and He says, where do they lay Him? And they, and they said, over here. And it says, Jesus wept. He's groaning in His humanity. One commentator by the name of William Barclay reminds us that our God is actually living out our life. He enters into an ordinary home with an ordinary family. He was not ashamed to do an ordinary man's work. He knows what it's like to be tempted. He knows and He shares love as well as judgment. And He was even nailed to a cross and He weeps. Let's just be honest, folks. Humanity's not easy. And Jesus goes, I know. I've been there. And let me show you one more. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew 7. Matthew 7, verse 46. Matthew 7, verse 46. 10.30, right? 10.30. In Matthew 27, in verse 46, we find a passage that is really controversial in many ways to a lot of people. And so I want to be careful here that I don't try to oversimplify it. But in Matthew chapter 27, in verse 46, while our Lord is on the cross, He's on the cross, the crowd got their wish The religious leaders got their wish and our Lord ends up where He knew He would end up at the beginning of that day. He still cries out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. Which is translated, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I believe That in one way, what Jesus was actually doing was he was teaching a lesson on the cross. That line there comes straight from Psalms 22. In fact, that's the opening line. If you know anything about Jewish history, when they would go to the synagogue or any time and somebody would grab a text, they didn't say, hey, turn to Psalm 22. Things weren't numbered like that. They would usually recite the first line of a passage and everybody knew where to go. And so maybe what Jesus is actually doing while he's on the cross and suffering and dying, he's saying, go and read this psalm. Because it's a powerful foreshadowing of everything that he would endure that day. Pierced my hands and my feet. All of it's there. It's a very powerful messianic psalm. Jesus saying, read it. It's happening. But I think that would only be half of the story. Because you never feel more human. You never feel more feeble than when you feel forgotten. And sometimes in our greatest misery, in our greatest pain, When we're engulfed in the greatest sorrow, we feel so alone. We hurt so bad. We feel forgotten. My God. My God. Why have you forsaken me? Now, I don't believe God left him. But I believe Jesus felt it. And there is some powerful symbolism in the world going dark. (laughs) And the light is no longer there. And the darkness fills the world. My God, my God. When you feel abandoned, you have felt humanity's greatest sting. You see, when Pilate brought Jesus before the crowd, he said, behold the man. I know what he was doing. But may I suggest to you, if we can bring this full circle. Our God became a man. So he could take us by the hand. Look us in the eye and say, I know. Come. Come. Come with me. I want to take you home. I want to take you home. And what a joy and a privilege it is that we have a Lord who sympathizes with our weaknesses. We have a Lord who understands firsthand our struggles. We have a Lord who motivates us to fight through this existence just like He fought. We have a Lord who inspires us to lead others even as He led. And we have a Lord who motivates us to excel the best we can at this human experience. In 2 Timothy 1 and verse 12, I think Paul got it. In 2 Timothy 1, verse 12, Paul, seeing and experiencing the human experience much like his Lord, he said this, I also suffer these things. Nonetheless, I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed and I am persuaded That he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. What a joy it is to have a God who loved us so much. He became a man. He became a man. Grab his hand. Walk with him. Thank you so much for your kind attention.